Sandy Clough and Sean Trotar. Weekdays at 2 on Mile High Sports. I'm Sandy Clough. Sean Trotar is off today. He will be returning tomorrow. But we uh, continue today on this third day of April, 2023. Mile High Sports 98.1 FM, 75HD3. Our caller text line is 303-831-1340. And as always, we're streaming on milehighsports.com slash listen and free MHS app. Danny Bailey and Andrew Detmer are our producers. This is when you know it's big time. I, I have never had two producers in the 44 years I've been doing radio. Parts of I've been doing radio in the city. Two producers, now we have two. And uh, both do a fantastic job. And I'm wondering, fellas, uh, tonight is the national championship game. We were talking about the women just a few minutes ago. And tonight for the men, it's San Diego State and UConn. And I I, I must say that uh, on Saturday... The game I thought would maybe be hard to stick with from start to finish was the first game, and it turned out to be very dramatic. Not especially well played down the stretch, but a kid who is not known as a shooter hits the game-winning shot for San Diego State, and for the first time ever, there is a Mountain West team in the NCAA championship game, San Diego State winning 72-71 over Florida Atlantic, and UConn dispatching Miami 72-59 in the other semifinal. So, in fact, tonight, we do have an underdog against the Blue Blood, and people say, well, UConn isn't Kansas or Kentucky or Duke or North Carolina. Well... I would beg to differ. They're going after their fifth national championship tonight. And San Diego State with uh, an interesting connection with the Fabulous Five, which Danny was a little before your time, but as a sports historian, I know you remember the Fabulous Five from the University of Michigan. Brian Dutcher, the coach at San Diego State, is a Steve Fisher disciple. And on that Michigan Fab Five team, or teams, in the early 1990s that went to two consecutive championship games, lost them both, first to Duke and then to North Carolina. The head coach was Steve Fisher, and the lead assistant was Brian Dutch, who is now the head coach at San Diego State, and taking a crack at pulling off an upset tonight against the University of Connecticut. Which has not been in a championship game since 2014, and I do remember that. It was nine years ago. I do remember that because I was there, and UConn knocked off Kentucky in kind of an anticlimactic championship game. And I, I, I hope the game uh, tonight is tighter. I think you have a, a little bit of contrast, uh, although UConn can certainly play defense as well as just about anybody. Uh, you have this. San Diego State team that 
has a way of gutting out games that appear lost. And they have done it uh, this way, uh, 57-56 over Creighton at the Elite Eight and at the Final Four on Saturday by a point, 72-71 over Florida Atlantic. UConn has been steamrolling right throughout the tournament, but it will be a four seed against a five seed in a championship game. No ones, no twos, no threes. Um, Only one four, a couple of fives, and a nine made the final four this year. Um, I think there's a chance that UConn could win easily, but I'll tell you, I have to pull for San Diego State. I have nothing against UConn, and I actually kind of like Danny Hurley, the UConn coach, who was uh, not the coach nine years ago, and perhaps for many years, he said as much after the game the other day, uh, never thought that be a college coach at a place like UConn. Kevin Ollie won a championship there in 2014. Jim Calhoun won several national championships uh, at the University of Connecticut. And if you go back a ways and you think of the Big East, of which UConn is still a part, think of the Big East from 40 years ago. You think of Georgetown. You think of Syracuse. You think of St. John's. You think of Villanova, certainly. And it's great upset win over Georgetown in the national championship game in 1985. But during that decade, although they showed signs heading into the 1990s in which they would be by far the best of the Big East when some of those other programs went into decline, but you don't think of the 1980s Big East when the Big East was at its zenith you don't think of the Big East as having been characterized or defined particularly by UConn's presence in the Big East not at that time Providence maybe a little bit And certainly those four other schools I mentioned, but not so much UConn and UConn is now the dominant team in the, in the big East. And frankly has been that way for the better part of 30 years. So UConn is a four-time champion, legitimate blue blood, and you have a clear underdog. The reason I wasn't enthralled with San Diego state, Florida Atlantic is who was the underdog. The fifth seed, San Diego State, was the favorite, but an underdog of sorts and having reached the final four, and then you had Florida Atlantic as a nine seed, certainly an underdog. Underdog against underdog doesn't tend to produce the kind of drama we saw on Saturday, but it was a terrific game, and then you had the four seed against the five in the West and, and Midwest with Miami representing the Midwest and UConn the West. And that was basically a blowout. But we will see what happens uh, tonight. Connect, uh, UConn has won four NCAA national championships since 1999. So in less than a quarter century, 
UConn has probably been as championship ready year in and year out, save for this gap between 14 and this year, as any program in the country, although perhaps not celebrated as much. And in point of fact, I I think this is fair to state as fact, the UConn women have garnered a lot more attention than the UConn men, and I'm not sure that's entirely fair to the men. And certainly this year, the UConn men pretty much throughout the season have uh, outperformed the women, which is an unusual state of affairs at UConn when you aren't talking about the women really much at all, but you're talking about the men uh, in a championship game. Women have been so dominant, and I think, UConn, as a women's program, will be back in fairly short order. I don't, their dynastic reign has, of course, ended, but to say they won't be a factor uh, is is probably premature. Uh, These UConn men, though, they've got, I think, a terrific young coach, and they're now going to be a destination site for transfers and UConn is certainly going to be able to recruit as well as they ever have Uh, win or lose tonight but obviously if they win five national titles inside a quarter century this this isn't a program that was dominant back in the 50s and 60s okay and hasn't done a lot of winning of national championships and the kids don't care about that today But kids, even in their teens, will have seen at least a couple of these UConn championship teams. And if they win this year, they'll be the most recent champion, and that's never, ever a bad thing. Marty Richardson will join us in a few moments. We'll talk a little about uh, the Colorado Avalanche and just it give you kind of a perspective on where the avalanche are. We talked about the game on Saturday night and to bounce back after what was by any measure subpar performance in the previous game against Minnesota and losing for a third time in the month of March, having had a chance to move into first place might have deflated a lot of other teams but keep in mind in relation to the avalanche that over the course of the last 35 games there are only two teams in the entire league one in the east and one in the west with a higher percentage than the Colorado Avalanche. Now, to give you an idea, the last 35 games effectively represents the second half of the season, give or take a a game or two. We're talking about the second half of the season. Now, in the first half, or 
what would technically be 40 games out of an 82-game season. The Avs were 20-17-3. and three. Since then, 25-7-3. and three. Last 35 games. That's a win percentage or a point percentage, if you will, of 757. Only Boston at 27, 7, and 1, and 786, and Edmonton at 24, 5, and 6, 771, have a higher point percentage, win percentage, than do the Avalanche. And no matter what happens between now and the end of the regular season, the Avs have. Two games at San Jose, game against the Kings on the road, a game against Anaheim on the road, home games against Edmonton, Winnipeg, and they finish up in Nashville. No matter what happens, they will not be playing either the Edmonton Oilers or the Boston Bruins the first round of the Stanley Cup playoffs. And they're playing better than anybody else in the league. Over basically what constitutes the second half of the season in the National Hockey they had their skating game the other night. They were much more physically engaged the other night than they were against Minnesota. Positional game was solid. As Jared Bednar noted after the game, the Az were competitive. They were disciplined with the puck much more so than they were against Minnesota. Now, it wasn't the frequency of mistakes against Minnesota that was so troublesome. It was the, the nature of the mistakes they made. I mean, they were big mistakes. Goaltender playing the puck behind its own net, blindly backhanding it around the boards directly to a Minnesota skater. That was the first goal. Second goal, Sam Gerard gets outmaneuvered more than he was outmuscled in this case. And Minnesota scores. And on the third goal, it's a shorthanded goal. The fourth goal, empty net goal, was a shorthanded goal, too. But it was a night in which the mistakes were especially pronounced for the Avalanche. The other night, just the opposite. And another multi-point game for Nathan McKinnon gives him now 32 for the season. The only members of the Colorado Avalanche who have had more than 32 multi-point games in a season. Remember, McKinnon's missed 11 games this year due to injury. Joe Sackick with 35 in 1996, first Stanley Cup year. Joe Sackick with 34 in 2001, second Stanley Cup year. Peter Forsberg with 33 in 1996. Imagine that. Forsberg and Sackick combining for 68 multi-point games the first year the Avs were in town, 1995-96. The franchise record is held by Peter Stastny, and I remember this a little bit because I was covering the old Colorado Rockies hockey team in the 1981-82 season, and I saw Peter Stastny play in person on a couple of occasions that year, and he had 42, count them, 42 multi-point games. Marty Richardson is as good an ambassador for hockey 
philanthropist, activist for hockey as there is in this area. He does a lot of great work as uh, the head of what is known as Dog Nation, and we're privileged to have uh, Marty join us right now. Marty, we were uh, talking earlier. Your good friend Milan Hayduk was the last Av skater to score 50 goals in a season. Miko Rantan got his 49th the other night. What do you think about Miko doing what Milan did, uh, what, more than 20 years ago, right? Yeah, yeah, I saw Milan talking about that a couple days ago. And yeah. he, uh, he said, um, some. I think they asked him whether it would bother him, and he said, absolutely not. Uh, he's a big Avs fan and a Miko fan, and just talked about what a great player Miko is. And he is having a career year. And, and um, yeah, it's been a lot of years since we had a 50 goal scorer here. And um, uh, I know, I know, I know for sure that me, Milan's rooting for him. Cause I, I see Milan all the time, probably a couple times a week. Right. Right. And of course, Milan's son is playing at Harvard. I saw him play against my school, St. Lawrence a few weeks ago. Uh, of course, uh, neither Harvard nor St. Lawrence nor DU, unfortunately, uh, part of the mm-hmm. frozen four on the collegiate level. But uh, I, I know we'll go, we'll get into uh uh, the reason we uh, wanted to bring you on today in just a second, but uh, uh, your your reaction to the Avalanche season, uh, a, a very different year from last yeah. year, although uh, we forget this, they had a fair number of injuries last year during the regular season, and yes, uh, during the playoffs, and were able to overcome them, but they weren't missing their captain. For the entire yeah. season last year, they have missed Gabriel Landeskog this year for the entire season. Under those circumstances, isn't this season, at least the regular season, almost more remarkable than last? I mean, if they win five more games, they'll have fifty wins this year. Impressive, yeah. I think this is this is uh, Jared's best coaching job he's ever done and he won't be up for coach of the year because our boy jim montgomery's pretty much got that locked up oh, but, um, absolutely and rightly so. yeah yeah rightly so i mean amazing and um but but jared is this has been i i yeah i know you've followed hockey a long long time and so have i but i i don't remember a team that's had this many injuries of significant yes, players of significant over and over, and over again right. yeah and it's like you've you've seen lots of guys out, but these are really big time players. And even now with like, like uh, when they lost Burakovsky and, and Kadri to free yep. agency, right. um, that's a lot of goals that they had to kind of fill in. And, um, and, and Lekkinen was one of those guys that we, you know, and Mikushkin that we yep. needed to do that. And, yep. and they do with, if they're in the lineup, if they're they, in the line. they've been right. in a, right. yeah. And, and Manson was a, I didn't think they were going to keep him and they did. And, but he don't, he's missed so many games too. These are really big time players are still missing. And, um, I don't know. I mean, if they, I, between you and me, I've just seen some of those videos and <laughs> I know you go to the, the skates. I don't, yeah. I, I would be almost surprised if Landy plays it all this year. I, right I, I have the same feeling. And I think, uh, Jared Bednar sort of expressed that a few weeks back. Uh, we, we remember Peter Forsberg, who's kind of a once in a lifetime player, certainly at the very least a generational player, uh, during his day, uh, dropping into the playoffs after missing, uh, 
an entire regular season and succeeding at it. And I imagine Kevin Durant of the Phoenix Suns could sort of do the same thing, but those are rare talents. And you're talking about uh, someone who hasn't played uh, since last June, hasn't played a single game. And Mm -hmm. even if he were to be ready, you wonder uh, how ready he could be for the playoffs. And I'm, I'm beginning to have my doubts that uh, they will chance it at all. But on the flip side, you look at the sacrifice he made last year when in March he had knee surgery, but was determined to come back for the playoffs, knowing Mm -hmm. that there might be further surgery necessary down the road and whether it was at the end of his career or this year, he might be sacrificing a full yeah. season. And it looks like that might have been the price to pay. But uh, as fans, we're glad he paid it, aren't we? <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, that, that is a tough one for sure. It's a, and, and, yeah, I mean, he turned out to win a cup, and that's, Maybe uh, we all see how hard that is to do. You had those abs yeah. teams that were just phenomenal in the early 2000s, and they won one cup. And it's well, like, yeah, yeah well, that's right, that's right. Yeah, and, yeah. and this, uh, I mean, in this one last year, you lost. Goals are such a big part of any like the NHL, and to find those goal scorers is tricky. And they lost two really, really big like chunks of goals off of that team last year with Kadri and Burakovsky. And that's a, that's hard to make up that to me, that's the the biggest hit that they took from last year to this year. And, and then there's been a lot of injuries, but look at how many goals those guys scored and look how many goals they have scored for the year. That's a huge percentage. Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, it's tough. And you saw that with DU. I mean, they, they had a great scoring team this year and then they, Get to you know it's a one and out, but if you you need the goal scores, you have to absolutely, and, absolutely. And, but yeah, I don't know. I I, I hope. I mean, they, I think they're they're def they could could win it again. I mean, part of it, the East seems stronger than the West West this year, and there's going to be whoever comes out of the East is going to have to battle battle through it probably harder than the team out of the West. But Abs are as good as anyone else in the West, I think. Marty Richardson with us uh, from Dog Nation. And, uh, Marty, tell us about the Willie O'Ree Award. You're a candidate uh, this year. Yeah. Tell us about uh, the award. And uh, and for those of a certain age, we remember Willie O'Ree as, uh, uh, for lack of a better term, uh, the Jackie Robinson of hockey. Uh, but uh-huh. uh, tell us about uh, the award uh, uh, for which you are a candidate this year. Yeah, it's pretty exciting. It's uh, as you said, Willie O'Ree, the, the Jackie Robinson of hockey played for the Bruins. Some not not nearly the storied career that Jackie had, but no. nonetheless still broke the barrier. And um, but uh, Willie's still with us these days. And there's a a really cool award that started in in uh, 2018 called the Willie O'Ree Community Hero Award. And um, it's a really big time award that the NHL gives out. Um, and uh. I was, uh, it goes through a nomination process and the, for three years in a row, two years ago, I was a semifinalist last year I was a semifinalist. And this year I was a semifinalist again, but the exciting thing is I'm now found out just today that I'm one of three finalists and 
Wonderful. Uh, Congratulations. Incredible honor. Yeah, yeah, incredible honor. So that's that's what this is. And it really is designed for um, the NHL's version of, uh, like, not the casual fan by any means, but but someone that isn't an NHL player that's um, uh, bettering their community through the game of hockey. And so that's uh, quite an honor to be to list even be nominated for that never mind be a finalist you've always got something going uh inside hockey season even uh outside hockey season uh tell us uh just in calendar year 2023 some of the things you've done some of the things you're working on oh man the one that you and i talked about on the the broadcast uh one of the david carl shows we we hosted eight of the Humboldt Broncos survivors. Right. And a lot of people know that one from April 6, 2018, almost the five-year anniversary. Now we took them all up skiing, including uh, Ryan Strasvinsky, who was paralyzed in that accident, but still got them on the ski slope. So we did that. And, and then um, a week after that, I was up in Minneapolis and, and uh, we put on a pond hockey tournament for a young man named Ethan Glenn grew up in the same youth program is Eric Johnson from the S uh, right. Jefferson. And, and this kid at 14 years old, three sport athlete star in all of them and uh, baseball, hockey, and, and football player. And, and Ethan and his 11th play of his high school football career up in Bloomington, Minnesota, uh, became a quadriplegic on a routine tackle. And, and so we, we went up there, Jan Hada, a lot of people know them yes. that listen to you. Yanni lives up there now and, helped me put that tournament on and and we actually believe it or not even we put our own top team in there i don't i'm not good enough to play on that but <laughs> but me yanni sure is and nico koivu played on that for us sure. so that was really cool and um so that was and and then after that since then we've we we do a weekly skate called hockey heels we've had a comedy night since since the last time i saw you too that raised um about twenty thousand dollars for the former equipment manager, um, uh, Smokey, he's, a, a, he has a, runs a skate shop, but he's come, uh, uh, has had some complications with diabetes. And of all people, we had Scott Parker hand him that check. Right. So we've had a lot of cool stuff happen in the last month and it really just never ends. And so one, you know, one thing after the other, the other night we were at an abs game and Ethan was in town getting his checkup from Craig and, um, of all things, took him to the morning skate the, and the Minnesota Wild kind of took it to the next level and helped out and healthy scratch that night um, happened to be Ryan Reeves and spent the spent a period in our suite with us. So that's pretty cool, too. So Wonderful. Uh, hard Wonderful. to not be a Ryan Reeves fan after that. Well, we congratulate you on uh, the work you've done and uh, the work you have yet to do. Uh, congratulations on being a finalist uh, for this honor. Uh, I know how much it would mean to you and uh, pleasure talking to you today and uh, catching up and uh, good to have you on mile high sports for the first time. And uh, we'll do this yeah. again. Yeah. And, uh, and for anyone that wants to, this is that we're actually in a voting period right now, Sandy. So um, it's uh, if you go to NHL.com slash O-Re award okay. and O-R-E-E award, all one word, um, you'll see the, three finalists there and right now we're in a two-week period where you can vote every single day and choose uh um, hopefully me <laughs> of the of the three finalists but but certainly the other two are very deserving as well and um uh whoever gets the the most votes on there that's one third of uh their decision making so um, we're hoping to kind of crush that 
as they uh, have said many times over the years in Chicago, vote early and vote often. Uh, yeah, Marty Richardson. Go, Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks, Marty. Okay, we appreciate it. There he goes, Marty Richardson of uh, Dog Nation, and I've had the chance to work with uh, uh, Marty from time to time on a number of uh, uh, endeavors, and uh, he is uh, within this state, within this region, as a matter of fact, one of the great ambassadors uh, for hockey, uh, does a lot of work uh, with uh, those who uh, ordinarily wouldn't have access. He's helped a lot of folks, and uh, uh, good luck to Marty over the next uh, a few weeks as uh, he bids for the uh, Willie O'Ree Award for 2023. We'll come back and uh, we'll uh, get back to uh, some conversation on the Nuggets and should they play Nikola Jokic in any of their remaining games having virtually clinched first place in the West. Talk about that next. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Sandy Clough, Sean Rotar here on Mile High Sports, 98.1 FM, 107.5 HD3, 303-831-1340 for callers and texters. We're streaming on milehighsports.com slash listen and the free MHS app. Danny Bailey, Andrew Detmer, our producers today, afternoon drive with Anilo Piro and Cody Rourke coming up in just about 30 minutes, less than that, in fact, 25 minutes, perhaps more precisely right here on Mile High Sports. And, of course, uh, we were talking about the Nuggets uh, earlier. And uh, to address the subject of Nikola Jokic, without whom the Nuggets actually won last night against Golden State, 112-110 at Fall Arena, and... There was the question that Michael Malone was asked, and he needed to answer it maybe in a couple of different ways. The second time to clarify what he was really saying, because there does seem to be an injury of sorts that isn't just being managed. Uh, the abs, uh, uh, of course, have serious injury concerns and we know the injuries are actual the nuggets are in a different position that they've had for weeks if not months the number one seeded position in the western conference basically wrapped up and sean and i have talked at length about the minutes uh that Jokic has played and that murray has played in fact uh, jamal murray played almost 41 and a half minutes out of a 48 minute game last night and both Sean and I have expressed concerns over this. Nikola Jokic has sustained a calf injury. It isn't believed to be all that serious. Uh, clearly, the Nuggets are playing it safe. Here's what Malone said last night when he was first asked after the game about the question of uh, Jokic's calf injury lingering. He said, I think having that week between the end of the regular season and beginning of the playoffs allows this to be something where I'm not concerned that this will go into the playoffs. With five to go, I think 
We are just being really, really smart, cautious, and trying to protect him as much as possible. Malone later came back, and to be clear, he said Jokic is tending to an actual injury here. And it had nothing to do with rest. Does it really matter, though? Danny, would you rest Jokic for the remainder of the season and then give him an additional week between April 9th and April 15th in which he will not have to play? I think of anyone on the Nuggets, Nikola Jokic is both the most mentally prepared and his game fits that strategy the most where he doesn't necessarily need a lot of time to be in rhythm. He just is in rhythm because he controls the game and he manipulates it in so many ways. So I don't think he necessarily needs to play. And then you get other guys who maybe do need to feel like they're getting hot at the right time and they get hot at the right time. and, And this is my point, and we brought it up earlier. I said Michael Porter Jr. I thought played his finest game Last night in a looked incredible game. on both ends of the floor too. Both ends, both ends. And interestingly, there was uh, a piece in the post yesterday. In fact, their lead piece uh, in the Sunday Post sports section entitled "Complete Player: How Denver Forward Michael Porter Jr. Became More Than a Pretty Jump Shooter." I think that was on display last night, and I think for for a lot of fans who are looking for growth that maybe prior to this year for varying reasons, some having to do with having several back surgeries before his 24th birthday, right? But it hadn't shown the kind of growth that people had hoped for. He had shown flashes. He had shown some promise. But the all-around game had not really very often been on display, whether he was completely healthy or only partially healthy. Last night it was, and you hit the nail on the head. You're exactly right. Both ends of the floor, and there were block shots on defense. Uh, There was help defense. There was rebounding on the defensive glass. Finishes with 29 points, 11 rebounds on only 17 field goal attempts. Four for eight on threes, 10 for 17 overall from the floor. Got to the line, five for six. There was nothing he didn't do last night. And at least against Golden State, that's why I made the statement earlier, Golden State, maybe the Clippers, are the two teams I think they could beat in a best-of-seven series even if Jokic didn't play. But if Jokic is fresh going into a series against either opponent, I I know Zubats is back for the, the Clippers, but the Warriors literally do not have a center, even by today's standards, what we would conventionally describe as a center. And there's no way that 37-year-old Draymond Green is going to play Jokic for 35 minutes a night. It's just not going to happen. And Kaminga can't play him. They they literally have no one. And they couldn't play Michael Porter last night. They had no one who could defend Michael Porter. Now, for the first quarter of the game, were there times where it looked like 
Golden State would score 130 to 140 points and it wouldn't make any difference. What the Nuggets did on offense, yes. But the Nugget defense picked up, and in the final three quarters of the game last night, they gave up 74 points. Pretty good, right? That's less than 25 points per quarter. And Porter was part of that defensive effort. Remember, it was just a few short weeks ago that Porter was yanked from a fairly important game for the entire, it was Brooklyn, for the entire fourth quarter, apart from the last 20 seconds, I guess they put him back in when they needed offense. But he sat out for all but 20 seconds of the fourth quarter and was none too pleased about it. And I thought, and Sean did too, rightly so. Suffice to say, he got his 34 minutes last night. Gordon played 39, and they were dominant, especially on the inside in the second half. Michael Porter wasn't just shooting jump shots. So I think you rest Jokic in these final games and give Michael Porter that burden. And Jamal Murray... I'd cut his minutes in these final five games and without wearing Porter out, I'm not saying play Porter 40 minutes a game because there is always the concern that he could get worn down. But these are low-stress games they have coming up. Rest Jokic or protect Jokic from the injury he has. Don't play him at all. Cut Murray's minutes to about 30 a game and give Porter about 35 a game and watch him take charge the way he did last night. And that can make the Nuggets only a much stronger team uh, going into the playoffs. We'll come back. We'll have a few final words on the Avalanche as uh, both the Avalanche and Nuggets are off tonight, but back in action tomorrow night. And uh, the Avalanche will be doing some scoreboard watching in the meantime. Talk about that too. We next. Sandy Clough and Sean Trotar, weekdays at 2 on Mile High Sports. Sandy Clough, Sean Trotar, Sean off today. He will be returning tomorrow as we'll be with you once again between 2 and 4 here on Sandy and Sean. And while there is no action in the NBA tonight in deference to the national championship game being played down in Houston between San Diego State and UConn, uh, there are three games tonight in the National Hockey League, two of which will have significant impact on the Colorado Avalanche as the Avs vie for first place in the Central Division. Now, technically, Minnesota is in first place with 97 points. The Avs and Dallas are tied for second with 96. But at the moment, the Avs have a game in hand on both the team directly ahead of them, the Wild in first place, and on the team behind them, Dallas, which technically now is in third place. The thing to remember, though, is that if the Avalanche win out, 
Doesn't matter what Minnesota does in their remaining games. Doesn't matter what Dallas does in its remaining games. If the Avs win out, they will be the champions of the Central Division. Their point percentage is 640, Minnesota 638, Dallas 632. The two games of interest tonight, the second of the home and home, with this time Las Vegas playing in St. Paul at XL Energy Center against the Minnesota Wild. And that will be a 6 o'clock start locally. Nashville is at Dallas a half hour later. So there will be some scoreboard watching going on tonight as the Az pull for Vegas and Nashville to knock off Minnesota and Dallas, uh, preferably with no overtime involved. But even if there is overtime, as long as Vegas and Nashville win, it will help the Avalanche as their uh, chances got better all of a sudden on Saturday night when Vegas knocked off the Wild and the Avs, of course, took care of business here against the Dallas Stars. And uh, the Avs, remember this year, 5-2 and two combined head-to-head with Dallas and Minnesota, 3-1 and one against the Stars, 2-1 and one against the Wild. Uh, the Avs will play tomorrow night and on Thursday night at the Shark Tank against San Jose. A uh, lesser team at the bottom or at least very near the bottom in the Pacific Division. Then they have road games in Los Angeles and Anaheim, home games against Edmonton and Winnipeg, and a road game against Nashville. But for uh, tonight, uh, the Avs will come out of tonight having two games in hand on the Wild and on Dallas and hopefully remain with a win at San Jose tomorrow night, position to capture by themselves first place in the Central Division. And uh, if you want a dream, you want Vegas to win tonight, but then in Vegas's remaining games, you're rooting for Nashville, you're rooting for the Kings, you're rooting maybe even for Dallas and certainly for Seattle in a home-and-home as Vegas closes out this season with uh, uh, those games on its schedule and a five-point lead over the Avalanche. But remember, the Avalanche uh, do have a game in hand on Vegas as well. Yes, we're dreaming. Take first place in the Central. Um, Top seed would be gravy, but it is still within reach of uh, the Colorado Avalanche as uh, they rest tonight, uh, as do the Nuggets, uh, preparing for uh, games tomorrow night. The Nuggets can clinch first place tomorrow night with a win at Houston, first place in the Western Conference, something the Nuggets have never done, and it would assure them of a first-round matchup against the eighth seed, which at the moment would be New Orleans, which is tied with the Lakers for seventh golden state and the Clippers are tied for fifth. There is among the four teams, Clippers, golden state, Lakers, new Orleans, a difference of one half game. All four have lost 38 games. I posited earlier that, uh, the nuggets might be better off facing the Clippers or golden state in the first round. 
as opposed to the Lakers or New Orleans. We'll see how that works out. But uh, the Avalanche will be the ones doing the scoreboard watching tonight uh, with those two games involving the Wild and Dallas. It's been a pleasure today. Thanks for listening. Uh, Of course, Danny Bailey and Andrew Detmer have been our uh, producers. Thanks to Marty Richardson of Dog Nation, who joined us earlier in this hour afternoon drive with Anilo and Cody is next. Stay with us on Mile High Sports. But now it's time for me to go.